Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The believers in Corinth were people who were extremely gifted and also extremely challenged by the sin in their lives. Sounds like a good letter to the church of Jesus Christ in general. Let's go ahead and read this chapter and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Please pray with me. Father, we love your word. We love your gospel, your good news. Father, we come and we want to be challenged in every way, and I pray that we would see this call for giving to be a blessing and something to which we can rejoice in. Spirit, would you work in our hearts today, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you generous? Amen. (laughs) Praise God. You're getting ahead of me there, brother. Now you, you, may have, you may have thought it a little unusual that we sang a Christmas carol. In fact, we're going to sing another one, though it's not quite as much thought of as a Christmas carol only at the end. But uh, the idea of the worship service had two, there's two parts to it. First is that God is a big God, and then that God is a generous God. As Pastor Dick prayed, we see his generosity most in his Jesus incarnation and his death. That God came down and gave himself for us. And if that is the case, it is natural for those who have experienced the new life of Jesus and follow him as their disciples to act accordingly. Here's the humbling thing. 
God doesn't need your materials. He doesn't need my material goods. But he gives you and me the blessing of being part of his work. Isn't that true? And that's what Paul talks about in this passage. He's, he talks about what the saints promise to do and what they are to do and what Christian maturity looks like. And, and then he, at the end, he talks about why they would want to do that, the motivation for that. Now, if you've been following along in our sermons in the morning, you might think this is a little abrupt. Like Romans and now, why are we talking about giving? Um, well, you know, as a session, we thought we could, we could be a little clearer in our leadership on giving. It's... Uh, we realize that it's something that sometimes churches do badly. They, they talk about giving and they pressure for the wrong reasons. Um, sometimes churches, though, I think err on the other side and are afraid to ask people to give. Um, you know, Jesus talks a good bit about money. And so if we're going to faithfully preach God's word, we as preachers should do that from time to time, too. A sermon or two a year as we think about what giving is, because done right is a sign of spiritual maturity, that we're growing in the Lord. So let's learn from the Apostle Paul, God's servant, and his idea here is straightforward. It goes right down the outline, right? Be ready to sow a blessing to reap God's abundant grace. Be ready to sow a blessing to reap God's Abundant grace. And Paul begins by telling his friends who are believers in Christ, be ready. At this point, there was a, a famine in the church of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where the church spread from. It was where, where Jesus was crucified and, and, and God spread the people around and they were sharing the gospel. And now this place, which was the birthplace of the church, is now suffering physical problems. They're, they're, they're hungry. They're short on food. And so the Corinthians who heard the gospel from Jerusalem heard about this and they pledged to give towards the relief for the people who are experiencing this famine. And so their promise was a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul, who was a traveling missionary. He went around teaching and preaching. And it seems that Paul talked up what they were doing to other churches. Did you hear what the church in Corinth promised to do? Isn't that awesome? Isn't God working in them? And it seemed that that talking up spurred other churches to be generous in giving towards this need as well. And so now Paul urges the, the church in Corinth to, to be prepared to give what they said they would. Let's just say right here, there's, a, there's a, just an application you can pull right in here. There is, a, there is a place to praise God for how generous his people are. And I always love to preach about giving at Faith Church because I know there are many people who are, who are generous givers. They, you guys are faithful in your tithing. Many of you honor the Lord by your tithing. When there is a need that the deacons have said, we have a problem, it, it is met almost instantaneously. Just generous. And in many ways, I know there are many of you who give beyond and above what, what God says is the minimum. And that is so awesome. And I praise God for that. And, and we should praise God, not in a way of patting ourselves in the back, but just saying, Lord, thank you that you've given us the resources that we've been able to grow into this generous attitude. And so Paul says now to these people, be ready so that you can live up to the promises that you made. Now, why would he need to ask that? Well, giving takes planning, doesn't it? You have to actually do some work to be, to be ready to give, especially in a, a significant way. Isn't it true that you just tend to consume what you have? Kids, have you ever heard the phrase, this money is burning a hole in my pocket? Might be a little bit older phrase. I don't know if that's going around anymore. But it's very vivid, isn't it? That your money is just kind of hot and it's just going to drop through your pocket unless you spend it, right? That's, 
you know, if we have a little extra and there's a little something we want and we don't have a reason not to, we just, we just, we just get it. Also, you know, maybe, maybe they lost the excitement of the vision of, of why they promised to do this in the first place. It's, it's very important to encourage people to give. I know for me, if, if I know what I'm giving towards and why it's important, that makes it much easier for me to give, to hear stories of, of the, the value of this cause and, and, this, and how people have been benefiting from it. Then all of a sudden, okay, I understand what I'm doing. The Paul, Paul's remember, remember, these are the people who brought you the gospel. They're in need. Be prepared for your gift, right? Simple application here. You, you must be prepared to, to give as God's people. And the implication here, this is a whole sermon on this, we're not going to talk too much about this, but the implication is that normally you start off, the baseline for Christian giving is the tithe, right? 10% goes to God as the king's share. That's, that's just what Christians should start at. Unless, unless you are in dire financial straits and, and then we have wonderful deacons who can help you, the tithe is where God would like Christians to start off, usually giving to the church, um, and I'll just say, look, if you're if you're here and, and you're a visitor and you know, I don't tithe, wow, and that's 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 substantial. Um, well, you know, you start start maybe one percent, two percent every year, raise it a percent if, if if that's if that's difficult. But but it is a substantial amount that God wants you to give. And I, I will say, I didn't have to go to seminary to tell you that. I could have told you that thirty years ago when I was a kid because my parents who were Base bottom of middle class or borderline poverty when I was growing up, they always tithe. When I got my allowance or when I earned something, you give 10% to the Lord. And I, I learned the joy of, of giving. But think about this. If, if Christian giving should start at about 10%, I do want to say again, God doesn't love you because you give 10%, right? You, you practice radical giving because God has loved you. This is not what you do to earn your salvation or, or favor. But if you say, yeah, okay, Jesus is the Lord of my life, and this means I restructure my life in many ways, including my giving, most people, if you go from zero to 10%, are not going to be able to do that on a dime, and certainly not without planning. Right? This means that you need, this is super spiritual, a budget. Oh, budget, right? Because you need to know how much you're earning, how much is going out, uh, how much money you're able to promise to give, wh- whether you can give more than you are right now. You, you just, it just makes sense. If you don't know what you have, you can't do much with it, right? And it'll go away from you before you... If you don't know what you have, you'll have less than you think you have, right? So do you have a budget? Are, are you able to give consistently because you have a budget? Are you planned and prepared in your life financially? There's actually something called the dreaded summer giving slump. Have any of you heard of that? Oh, it, it, it just brings horrors to trustees around the church. Because, because here's what happens, okay? Um, people, you know, they, they wind down the school year and, and they go away for the summer. I see some of our trustees grinning. Um, they, and they, they go away for the summer, which, you know, that's, that's fine. They take a vacation. They go visit family. And, of course, while you're away, you, you, you know, you don't give because you're not there. Um, and, and then, that's, that's fine if you're going away, but, but here's the thing. If you're gone for a few weeks, when you come back, do you make up the difference? Well, you can only do that if you've planned, right? If you have enough of a budget to say, this is how much I'm giving weekly, and I'm setting it aside, right? Otherwise, it's going to be nibbled up by vacation expenses or this or that. And that really says, where, where are your priorities before the Lord? This week, you know, Elizabeth is... Um, 
This week, Elizabeth is pregnant, and she's, um, she's just having trouble with certain foods. One of the foods that just seems to always go down is pizza. So we just increased our pizza a little bit more. That works. So, you know. Um, so I went to Sal's down the road, six miles down the road in Elmer. We always go to Sal's. I went to Sal's. I show up with Sammy to get the pizza. And I'm like, oh, I forgot my wallet. So I go in. I say, Sal, forgot my wallet. It's like, it's all right. You know, one time in six years is okay. It's an IOU. You can pay me back. No harm, no foul. Now, what if I came next time and said, yeah, oh, Sal. Forgot my wallet. He might be gracious. The third time, Sal, I forgot my wallet. He expects to be paid back, right? Um, now, services rendered, pizza man, but there are certain things. You can't skip your mortgage without making it up. Well, what does it say about your priorities of God? If you're, if you're not planning to give in a systematic way. Again, this doesn't sound very spiritual. It sounds so practical. But really, following Jesus in a lot of ways is just good wisdom and stewardship where you're bringing your lives under control of his lordship. And so I I encourage you, be prepared to give well with your finances. And if that's a place that's difficult for you, budget's hard, we have some good deacons who are good with numbers who could sit down and help you with that. So Paul says, you know, be prepared to give first in your tithe, but also even above and beyond when the opportunity comes. And, and you might say, well, why should I do that? And Paul says, so that you can sow a blessing, so that you can get in on the work what God is doing. Paul uses the word several times in this passage. The Greek word is eulogion. Eu, good. Logion, logos. We get the word eulogy, good word. Um, but combined together, it usually means blessing or praise. But here, it means a couple different things. It's slightly different. The first one, it talks about willingly, right? So in verse in verse 5, Paul says, I thought it necessary to urge you so that you could arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it might be ready as a willing gift. So very woodenly, as a blessing, not as an exaction. And, and the second was the right, the second time it's used is the next verse. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully, there's that word again, whoever sows a blessing will also reap a blessing. Now, perhaps it's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know what was in their minds, but they may have actually thought of it abundantly. Well, that's, that's a blessing, because that's a very rare way the word was used for abundantly. Paul's saying, literally, when you sow abundantly, you are sowing a blessing. You are investing in God's kingdom. Now, what kind of giving is Paul talking about here? You need to know the context. Here he's talking about alleviating poverty of brothers and sisters in the poor. So he's talking about giving to the poor. That's, that's a very important aspect of Christian giving. In fact, throughout history, Christians have give, gave, they've gave to open hospitals and orphanages, which we do. We support an orphanage in Mexico. And it's very important that that part of what giving is, is for the poor. Other places, Paul would talk about how giving is for his missions as he went around and preached. It's not mentioned here, but giving is also for the work of the church. The church was not so established then, so it looked a little different. But what you do see is the giving comes through the church, right? The the church gathers it. They, They give it to the apostles who then give it to either people for who need food or to go out and do missions trips, Right? And so what you see here then is people giving abundantly to the work of the church, in this case, for the poor, but also for, for the operation of the church and for missions. And Paul says this should be done 
abundantly, over and beyond even what is normal. What, what does it mean to be a, an abundant giver? It means, it means to give in a way that's shocking, it's generous. It might even be considered today above your means. I want us to think about a moment as individuals and then as a church, what it would be like to give abundantly. What does it mean for us to give abundantly? I was, you know, I'm sitting in my office this week wrestling with this passage, you know, because before I come and preach it to you, I'm, I'm digging in and saying, God, what are you, what are you saying to me? Right? What is this saying to me so that I can, I can preach God's word to you? And, and you hear all this, you know, so abundantly, all this multiplying and overflowing. And I think, OK, well, I'm I am certainly not the richest person in, in this town or my community, but I am in the wealthiest country in the world. There is there is not anything that I want or need seriously that I do not have. Um, you know, I could. In many ways, except for maybe books, because I love books, and books are so wonderful. But perhaps without, with, that, with the exception of books, there, there, I could go the rest of my life, and although there would be some things that, yeah, I would enjoy, I, I don't need anything else. It's incredible. I'm never hungry. I'm never cold, unless I choose to be. Wow. What does it mean, then, for, for me, okay, I'm a, I'm a rich person, comparatively, to give abundantly. Hmm. Well, one thing it means that for us in America, it means that when, when God gives you a little extra, you give him more back. So if God gives you a raise or a bonus or, or an inheritance, you can give even more back to God. I'm not just talking about, well, of course, if you give 10% and if he raises you, uh, you know, your, rate, your, your salary goes up 100% over a year, your, your 10% would double. No, but you, you can increase the percentage or you can, if God gives you a chunk of something, you can give him a chunk of that maybe to something special that you don't normally do. Abundant giving, above and beyond, going over. What it means is that the more potential God gives you financially, the more you overflow in giving, right? In fact, the way Jesus talks about it is that abundant giving should cut into our lifestyles. Um, it means that in some way, we live differently because we want to bless other people. Now, you're all in different areas of your life, so, so you have to make... You know, you have, there's no right answer to what that looks like. But for me right now, as a youngish person, uh, it, just where we are in our financial situation, we, we do put a little way towards retirement and uh, counting on the army retirement and investment property we have. But we have... Okay, we have some money left over that we're putting in additionally into retirement. How much should we put? Should we put all of it in? Is there some that we should hold back and give now? Do we, in faith, say we're not going to put the maximum amount that we have, but some of that we're going to give now? There's no right or wrong answer, and it might look different for you where you're at. But I, I, and it's absolutely important, especially where we live so long and really cost of living is so expensive that you plan and are stewards of your finances and that you have enough that you can take care of yourself so that other people can put their money elsewhere to take care of other people. That's wise. But I do think this, that most Americans are in danger of giving so much that we impover- will be impoverished in our retirement. Probably not. Um, everyone's different. But just for you, ask yourself, how would my lifestyle be impacted? Maybe how is it impacted? Because I'm an abundant giver. 
Uh, let's look at an objection that a lot of people might be thinking, especially people outside the church. Honestly, I'm not quite sure I want to do that. <laughs> I'm not really sold on this idea. Paul's going to say, you know, if you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. I'm not quite sure that's the case. I'm not quite sure my return on investment is going to be so good here. Um, well, you could say, well, it's simply a command from God. But I want to look at this objection because maybe maybe you have it. Maybe we feel underneath. And I think a lot of people today are, are just are not sold on the idea of, of supporting, especially giving to a church. Um, they would see that as maybe a waste of time or resources. Uh, now, there are bad churches. Like, there are churches that are huge and, and they give $50,000 to missions. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. And then you see that they use $5 million to ba- build a palatial new uh, building where their children's services rival Walt Disney World. You say, well, wait a second. Are, are, are the priorities quite right there? Right? There, there are play ways that churches uh, are not good stewards and perhaps even are, are abuse God's funds. There are some bad churches. But, but, you know, let's just talk about it. God has used the church to do enormous good over the years. And in fact, uh, you think about how churches help people and care for Couples who would otherwise be divorced. Care for single mothers and fathers and their children. Care for the elderly. Provide counseling for those. Care for the body life. There's, there's a woman who was writing about how churches are helpful, and she was not a Christian at all, but she, I guess she implanted into a church, and she, she said this. She said, at the churches I studied, people really did seem to look out for one another. They showed up with dinner when friends were sick, and sat to talk with them when they were unhappy. The help was sometimes surprisingly concrete. Perhaps a third of the church members belonged to small groups that met weekly to talk about the Bible in their lives. One evening, a young woman in a group I joined began to cry. Her dentist had told her that she needed a $1,500 procedure, and she didn't have the money. To my amazement, our small group, most of them students, simply covered the cost by anonymous donation. That is not surprising in the church, where people give towards each other, and even giving towards the building where, where we worship and, and we care for each other is incredibly valuable. There was another, another economist who said, now he's talking about all religions here in America, but saying there's great value to religious institutions. He says, how much does this all add up in the terms of economic gains about five years ago? According to Rodney Stark, a professor of sociology, the American economy benefits to the tune of 2.6 trillion per year thanks to being a quite religious country. That is one-sixth of our total economic output. Now, he's not talking about the truth of the beliefs of the religious systems. He's just saying there is a lot of value in people who worship and, and, and those institutions. So for just someone who's not a Christian, say, oh, the church is, you know, just, it's wasting your money. Actually, it does a lot of good. But it goes further than that, too, doesn't it? Because we believe that when we even just give to keep the doors of the church open and come to worship, that is a benefit. Right? We believe that this world is not all, all that's, it's not all there is, is it? We believe there is a heaven and there is a hell. And the mission of the church is to proclaim God's salvation to sinners who turn and repent are saved. And, you know, that's why, by the way, you can't just give to the Red Cross, although that's a wonderful institution. You can't just give all your money to the Red Cross because they don't help our most basic need. And here's the kicker. 
When, when we give to the church and, and we live in the light of the good news of Jesus and worship and discipleship and mission, when we come to worship, we're changed. Right? We're changed in, in, in our worship today, in our singing, in, in our response and hearing God's word and preaching. God's changing your hearts right now. He's working on me and you. And when we worship, when we see God's glory and then we go out, we live as different people. And, and that value in, in helping and loving is incalculable. Right? This, this is incredibly valuable. And I just love to say, you know, at Faith Church, right at, we give a tithe. Ten percent of what we give goes to, goes to missions. It goes to an orphanage in Mexico. It goes to church planting in our presbytery. That ten, part of that ten percent goes to funding missionaries throughout the world. And that's not even counting our diaconal fund, which deals with immediate needs in our church, especially in the area. So I think there's some value in that. Quite a bit of value, actually, in giving. Let's ask as a church now, though, as not just individuals, but who are coming together and we're, we're pooling our money together, what does it mean to be abundant in our giving? It means that we have a, a wartime mentality, that we know that, that our giving is not just to serve us and have a cushy place where we can be comfortable. We certainly want to be able to serve the body. That's very important. But we're not just a cushy country club where we have a stellar worship experience, Right? Um, where excellent worship is valuable, wonderful care is valuable, but as one church put it, we're a battleship and not a cruise ship, right? And so we want to be frugal with our money. I'm very thankful for, for trustees who do a good job of that. We're, we have trustees who, who um, you know, we, we do, we do uh, repairs on our own. We, we are frugal in the way we spend it. Um, and we need to have that mindset. We do. Now, Honestly, some of that reason is because with our summer dip, we're just we're a little bit under expenses right now. Um, I do believe that come fall, we'll be doing fine. Um, and I also know I see spiritual growth at Faith Church, and I expect financial growth to continue. But we need to always have this outward-looking mindset, this abundance, that it's not just about us, but it's about how God can use us in the, pe- the community around us. How can we sow a blessing? How can we be abundant as a church? How can that happen? Well, I think it's incredible that we give 10%. I love that. What if there's some point where we could say, well, let's, let's give another percent of our budget away? Could we do that at some point? And if we did that again and again... Now, this year isn't the year to do that. We're, we're changing treasurers over, and we, we, we have to have that preparation down and, and know where our numbers are. And, but think about it. Next year we started that, and, and every year we just tested God. What if we did a percent? Um, God, would you give us the funds that we could do that? Fifteen years later, giving a quarter of our budget away to, to mercy and missions and church planning, wouldn't that be awesome? What would that look like? The, 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 the fact that we know we are committed to some of these things. So I find that exciting. I don't, I don't know what, what you think about that. But it's the, the ability to be involved in things that God are doing. Well, why should you do this? Um, because you have to? It's not the reason Paul gives. He says, to reap God's abundant grace. When you, when you sow a blessing, you'll reap a blessing. You know, God's thinking is so upside down. right? The king of kings comes as a peasant and dies as a robber. And that's how he shows you his abundant grace. And here's what God says about money. The more you give it away, the more joy you'll have. 
How upside down is that in a world where it says he or she who dies with the most toys still dies? Oh, wait, no, that's the Bible. Wins. Hmm. He says, now I noticed my outline, I, I kind of collapsed it. I was, it was going to say, you, you, so, you, 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 have, you have a blessing um, for those in need of the gospel, for those who have physical needs. I'm just going to concentrate on the last one. You, for your own joy. When you give for your own joy, how can you, how can you experience this? First, the, the objective things that God does with your money. You know, the, the, the church in Corinth, they realized that they were, they were stating the hunger of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And you can praise God when you see how he uses you to meet the needs of those around you. you know, we have our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico who have been hit hard by Hurricane Maria two years ago now. Something, it's incredible how long it's been. They're still suffering the effects. God has used that hurricane for them to be able to care for other people and minister. But we've been able to give. And, and they come to Presbytery and they say how grateful they are and how God's using that. You're part of that as, as part of the Presbytery of New Jersey. You are part of caring for people in Puerto Rico and God changing lives down there. You know, this happens within our Presbytery, how churches have given to other churches and kept them alive. And, and they've, they've been a wonderful places of care and, and gospel. Uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but when our church was young and we needed a building and we're not talking about this building, we're talking about the small building over there. The church in Vineland in the late 40s or early 50s gave $5,000. That was a huge chunk of change back then. So that we could get our building started. And, and then later on, as our church was dwindling in numbers, what is now New Hope in Bridgeton sent a whole bunch of people up, not financially giving directly, but people who gave here so that Faith Church could be alive and continue its ministry. And then we returned the favor decades later. Right. And, and as you as you give, you get to see how God is working. Uh, two ways that Elizabeth and I give over and uh, beyond our our what we give to the church is we give to two campus ministers and we get their newsletters. And sometimes there'll be a, a little paragraph from a freshman who said, you know, I, I wasn't really taking my life with God seriously. But I when I came and I and I joined RUF, all of a sudden I realized who Jesus was. And I thought, you know, in a small way, we contributed to that. How awesome is that? That's. That's joy, an eternal impact for your investment. The second is that you experience the subjective joy of giving. Now, as you give, God changes your heart. As, as your hand gets looser, you experience more joy. And, and, and Paul says this is, this is kind of what it means to be a, a mature Christian. Look at verse 7. He says, Each of you must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. Literally, not out of grief or pressure. Right? God's, and then in verse 5, he says, you know, be prepared to give uh, as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Literally, not as greed. Either you're holding some back, or you're giving it away, but you kind of wish you could keep it. How do you do that? Well, Paul talks about how God will work in your life. Look at verse 8. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all these things, you may abound in every good work. Part of that good work is giving. And then he quotes the psalm that we read about the righteous man, the righteous woman, who gives freely to the poor. And then he says, God will bless you. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase 
the harvest of righteousness. God will give you the grace to abound in giving. And as you do, it will come with all kinds of joy and growth. Maybe not financially. Maybe, maybe not. But with the incredible riches of joy and satisfaction and the eternal perspective of God. By the way, I'll just, I'll just throw this out there. Research proves it, and you don't need research. You could just look at the Bible. It makes sense. But God generally, the churches that are healthy and growing are the churches that give to others from their budget. Makes sense, right? If you have a church that joyfully gives abundantly to others, who wouldn't want to be part of a body who does ministry like that? As you go away this week, I'd like you to do two things. First, take some time, kind of like I did as I was sitting at this passage, and just sit down and think about this week how much God has given to you as an American living in the 21st century. Think about, it might be, might, might be easier to think about what do I really need instead of what do I have because we have so much. Amen. And then say, okay, thank God for that. What does it look like for me to give abundantly to faith church, to, to works and ministries that God's put in your heart beyond that? Is it preparing my finances? Is it one step at a time every year, giving God a little bit more? Maybe it's simply, you say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right where I want and I'm experiencing this joy. Maybe it's just rejoicing in what God has already allowed you to give. In all of this, it should drive us back to the cross. Because we give because we belong to a big God who is a generous God who gave his own son for us when we needed it the most. He doesn't need us but he delights to use us. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us the eyes of faith to see how you work upside down in this world? And would you meet each one of us where we're at and give us an incredible joy as we give, as we can, cheerfully. We praise you for our Lord Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.